please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 44. We are going to spend a little time in verse 8. Isaiah 44, verse 8. And uh, while you open there, let me pray for us a brief moment of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for the power of your word. We don't believe it as we should, but it is the power to eternal life. So I pray that you would help us to receive it. Open our hearts and our minds to the power of your word now that Christ may dwell in our hearts to his glory. Amen. Well, in 1976, Pat Robertson of the famed 700 Club. Who remembers the 700 Club? Yes, it's still going today, I think. Uh, Pat Robertson predicted all the way back in 1976 that the world was going to come to an end by November of 1982. Yet here we are, some 41 years later, still wondering, still waiting. Not to pick on Pat, but it's just a clear example that man does not have the power of foreknowledge. Humans have no ability to look into the future. We simply cannot know the beginning from the end because foreknowledge is a distinctive that belongs to God and God alone. And in Isaiah 44, verse 8, God shows us that his ability to deliver on his promises is proven by his foreknowledge. That's really our main point, so if you're taking notes, I'll read that again. God shows us that his ability to deliver on his promises is proven by his foreknowledge. So if you have your Bibles open, I'd like to read verses 1 through 8 of Isaiah 44. Verse 1. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen... Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call in the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come. And what will happen? Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. 
I know not any. Well, in our weakness, do we acknowledge, really acknowledge in our hearts and in our thoughts and in our lives the power of God's foreknowledge, his ability, his power to look into the future and know what is going to happen? Do we acknowledge that? Do we live by it? Well, in verse 8, 44, Isaiah 44, verse 8, God gives us three proofs for why we should acknowledge it. Three proofs of his foreknowledge in verse 8 to explore. Proof number one is that we exist. That's proof number one, that we exist. Look again in verse 8. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Grace Covenant Baptist Church is here. It's alive. You have gathered in. We, we are here tonight. This church is flourishing. Our very existence is a witness to the foreknowledge of God. Now in context, this is why we read verses 1 through 5, because it gives the context In verse 3, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And then in verse 5, he speaks of this supernatural conversion as a result of this grace. And then he says, this one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Well, that's us. Here we are. That's you. And in in, in verses 6 through 8, God is saying, you can trust me because I will do it. You watch and see. I'm going to do this. That's what distinguishes God from everyone and everything else under the sun. He doesn't just talk the talk, but he walks the walk. And in the fullness of time, he has poured out his spirit upon you. He has taken residence in your heart. Christ is alive in you, and that makes you a living witness to what God said he would do all along. You are the proof of his foreknowledge. And that means the power of our gospel witness isn't just limited to how we talk about it. Being winsome is helpful, but that's not where the true power comes from. And it's not in our conversion experience Again, that could be very helpful when you're sharing the gospel. And to a certain degree, it can even be powerful. But the real unfiltered power of the gospel lies in God's foreknowledge. And this can be easily overlooked, I think, in our evangelism. But the Bible models this for us. If you get a chance, go and read Acts 7 again and see it in Stephen when Stephen shares the gospel with the religious leaders of Judea, for him, it's all about the foreknowledge of God as we find it in Scripture and as it's realized in Jesus Christ. And when he finishes his speech in Acts chapter 7, verse 52, Stephen says, And they, the forefathers, killed them, the prophets, who announced beforehand, beforehand, the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. It's God's foreknowledge. Only he has it. He's shared it with us in the scriptures, and 
That's why we encourage you to read the Bible with unbelievers. When I first heard that here, I thought, that's strange. Why would an unbeliever want to read the Bible? But the truth is, they need to see the power of God's foreknowledge themselves. That's why it's a great idea. Let them see this distinctive of God and let them wrestle with the truth that God said he would do it and then he did do it and that you are the living proof. And I don't want to miss the reality that Isaiah 44 is an address to Israel, the nation, to the church. He's talking to the church. And if scripture is the foreknowledge of God and foreknowledge is what separates the true God from all other imposters, then Scripture is what we put on display together. So that's why we, we read Scripture, and we pray Scripture, we sing Scripture, of course we preach Scripture. Our worship is not just a testimony to what God has done, but it's a testimony of what he has said he would do long beforehand. He said he would do it a long time ago, and then in the fullness of time, he dunks on Satan and on sin and on death. For them, it's game over. It's over for them, because in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, and God did it. He did it. We are the witnesses. It's to us the power of eternal life. So that's why it's really good when we come together on a Sunday night and to pray the scriptures, right? When we're praying for revitalization, we're praying the scriptures because we're only praying what, what God said he would already do. We're appealing to him to do the very thing that he said he would do beforehand, and we bank on that because we know we can trust him at his word. Proof number two. Proof number two is no one else can do it. No one else can do it. No one else has foreknowledge. Look again in the second half of verse 8. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Poor Pat Robertson, he crashed. He burned in his prediction because he's just a man. And like the rest of us, he was absolutely impotent to walk the walk of foreknowledge. It's just all talk, but not with our God. Not with our God. He's entirely different. He says something, and it happens. Every single time, it comes to pass, just at the right time. And, of course, that was the experience of Old Testament Israel, right, in the day of Isaiah. God promised the land he promised a nation. He made all of those things happen. But it's even truer of us today, is it not? We have the full revelation of Scripture. Canon is closed. And not only that, we have all of the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God is going to say everything that he has had to say. And then I love Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. Then God lavished all of this upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. A plan for the fullness of time. This is special 
knowledge because it's God's foreknowledge. No one else can do this. No one else can do it. So application number one is if someone comes to you telling you that they know what's going to happen, turn and run the other way. Turn and run the other way. He's showing himself to be an imposter. And application number two, the foreknowledge of God puts a spotlight on the idolatrous nature of our hearts, doesn't it? We are witnesses of his foreknowledge. And we know deep down that only God can and should be trusted because of it. Yet we nevertheless have this evil tendency to place our trust in someone else or earthly things. Can you see how, in light of all that God has revealed to us, how that might be hurtful to him? If every time one of my children, when there was danger, an imminent threat, if every time there was something going on that they needed protection from, they would run to someone else, not me? That wouldn't fly. If every time there was danger, my children were running to any other man, you might as well just cut my heart out and throw it on the ground. This is what we do to God when we turn to our idols. In our fear, we're so prone to turn to just about anything else for help, for refuge. And God is saying that he alone can save us and that we know this to be true on the basis of his foreknowledge. And he's already proved it to us, that he alone is the rock, that he alone can be trusted, and that if we seek him in Christ, he can and will deliver us. Proof number three. Proof number three is fearlessness in God's people. Fearlessness in God's people. So one last time, look again with me in verse 8. Let's look and see how it begins. It starts with a command. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? I want you to see that the motivation to obey the command to fear not is in knowing and experiencing God's foreknowledge. That's why there's the connection. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? God expects us to turn away from fear because he proves his trustworthiness and his unique power of knowing the beginning from the end. This is his omnipotence. This is his limitless power to do what pleases him. Now I want to I help you follow the logic here. God declared in Isaiah 44, verse 3, that he would pour out his spirit upon his people. And then in verse 5, there is a supernatural conversion because of it. And that makes verse 8 the explanation point. You yourselves have experienced the fulfillment of these promises in your conversion. This is God's gift to you that in the fullness of time it happened right this is a confirmation of his foreknowledge in you in you and that means god should be trusted by us and that is the basis of our joyful obedience 
to fear not, to obey this command. When I was a kid, my dad would give a command and I would ask why. Why? And I, I never got an answer. Well, the answer was because I said so, right? Because I said so. But this is not the case with our God. He doesn't say fear not because I said so. He says fear not because I'm going to do this. I'm going to wrap it up, gift it to you, show it to you, come dwell with you in your heart. I'm going to make it yours so that every moment you breathe, you can know that you can bank on the foreknowledge of God. Gives the full explanation with the proof. That is the God we love and serve. So what made it possible in Acts chapter 7 for Stephen to stand up to the high priest and the entire Jerusalem council to the point of death? What made it possible? With love in his heart for the very people that are taking his life. It was belief in the foreknowledge of God. We're still banking on it. We We know that God has promised the future hope of an indestructible kingdom. He has promised the future hope of an inheritance that is unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for you, guarded by the power of God. He has promised the presence of the King, Jesus Christ, He will be there. If we kept reading in Isaiah, we would get to Isaiah 60. If you want to be encouraged sometime, if you need encouragement in your private time, go read Isaiah 60. God is giving us a promise of future hope in Isaiah 60. And in verse 22, he punctuates it by saying, I am the Lord in its time I will hasten it. This is the basis of Christian fearlessness. It's what made it possible for Stephen to stand up to the authorities to the point of death. And so when the storm clouds of life come, when trouble comes, when we battle with faithlessness and unbelief, this is how we lead our hearts out of fear and into hopeful, joyful obedience as we are commanded in Isaiah 44, verse 8. God says, fear not, Christian, fear not. God will do it. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and we thank you that you have shared your foreknowledge with your people that you have given us hearts to, be, to receive it by faith. But the faith is not blind. You said you would do it, and then you did it in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that this truth would be driven home in our hearts, that we would be more and more faithful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen.